Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self abandon. The amazing spider talk. The amazing spider talk. Come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing Hello, I'm Dapper Dank of Austin, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks, Mark, for peeling yourself away from your SNES classic. Is it the <laughs> SNES classic or the SNES classic? Or, or is it the SNES Mini Oh, well, I, I mean, whatever you, it, kind of thing you want to invent, go for it. I, I don't know. Well, I've, I've seen it referred to as the classic and the mini and the mini classic, and I don't know. Well, either way, thank you for pulling yourself away from your 1990s entertainment uh, and uh, joining us on the show today. Yes, thank you as well, listeners at home, for joining us for the what is the eighth episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. That's two weeks. Two-thirds of the way through this season. Uh, We hope you enjoy this podcast, this specific one, and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, Dan, and as I go and relive the 90s with my video games, you and I are actually going to go relive the days before video games in this uh, season of all-new Amazing Spider-Talk, because that's why we're looking at the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko creative run. I mean, the 60s, there weren't video games then, right? There wasn't even Pong then, right? No, no. How did they get through their day? I don't know. I mean, at least they had their smartphones, right? And they had some of the best comics ever. Exactly. Uh, well, last time around, we talked about everyone's favorite curmudgeon, the uh, Papa J. Jonah Jameson himself. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit more, I guess, thematically. Uh, we're going to be talking about Spider-Man's role as a street-fighting superhero uh, and, and why exactly he was determined to be a friendly neighborhood hero. That sounds great, Mark. And uh, like always, we like to tell you where you can keep up with books that we're talking about. And for this episode, like most of our episodes, we're going to be talking about the entire Steve Dicko and Stan Lee run on the title and probably a bunch of other comics, too, all the way up to modern day. But we're also going to have a special focus in this episode on Amazing Spider-Man issues 26 and 27. Uh, That would be the Crime Master Green Goblin storyline. And to that point, if you want to read along, you can read the whole run just about anywhere, print, digital, or as part of Marvel's Unlimited service. So sit tight, grab more wheat cakes, because you can never get enough of them, right, Mark? That's true. And uh, prepare yourself for Street Fighting Spider-Man.
because that's that's actually the era of Spider-Man that I I started reading uh, the character. I, I I started reading Spider-Man with I think issue six or seven, uh, and the first real uh, focused multi-part story was the crime master story sure uh that was i think issues like 13 15 something like that uh, somewhere in there and i loved it you know i mean i, I loved the aspect of the, the the kind of dick tracy aspect to some of spider-man's villains and when i came onto the book um uh in the early 70s the the character was still pretty down to earth you know it hadn't done ha- hadn't really fought any truly enormously superpowered villains i think the highest in his his biggest uh uh most powerful uh, characters that he fought were people like doc ock and sandman maybe sandman had the the, the biggest powers you know that, that he had to fight uh so when uh john and i were, t- were talking over stories to do we both Talked over the talked about the idea of doing uh, uh, Dick Tracy type villains. All righty, Dan. So we're talking about Spider-Man being a street fighting, street level hero. I, I guess before we get too much into the details of this, we should kind of define exactly what we're talking about. Um, you know, those of you reading along in One Hundred Things Spider-Man. Uh, should know do before they die. We actually have a chapter called Street Fighting Spider-Man. I don't know where we get these titles for the podcasts and the book from, Dan. I mean, it's almost like they're kind of synergistic or something, right? Uh, well, you would, you're one never to uh, miss a, a chance to plug. So That's true. Merchandising. Merchandising. <laughs> Spider Talk the Flamethrower. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, we're not talking about uh, Saget and M. Bison here. We're talking, of course, about Spider-Man and, and his penchant for um, in the early days. But, I mean, throughout the course of the character's history of being more of a kind of street level, lower level hero, you know, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, Doctor Strange, you know, they're having – battles on either the cosmic level or in space or you know world dominating threats like thanos and dr doom and spider-man on the other hand is is someone who's dealing more with kind of your rank and file pickpockets and burglars i mean his original enemy that helped create spider-man of course was the burglar uh, no name needed, although he did get a name later, but you, that's not the point. Uh, <laughs> As our listeners and, were apt to tell us. Exactly. Um, and I mean, and even the villains, the, the super villains that Spider-Man fights, I mean, with a few notable exceptions, I mean, they're mostly normal guys who – who got extraordinary powers, but like their 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 focus and their threat level is still kind of very keyed in on New York and Spider Man and 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 that universe, not so much kind of the bigger picture. And and this was very intentional. You know, Stanley, of course, curb, uh, uh, created the phrase "friendly neighborhood Spider Man," but. Um, you know, in my research for the book, Dan, 
you know, really turned out to be Steve Ditko, who uh, was really kind of repeatedly, repetitively uh, hitting this nail on the head about what he ref- kept referring to as Peter and Spider-Man living and operating within a quote-unquote teenager's world. And we talked about this, I think, in a few earlier episodes, too. I mean, it's this idea of, um, you know, if you're going to have the superhero be so distinct by being young and and a teenager, um, you really need to keep playing with that. So um, rather than have Spider-Man fighting these these global or intergalactic threats, you know, it, it kind of felt you know more personal if he was fighting things on a smaller level and 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 Dicko would constantly kind of push back on Stan when Stan kind of wanted to go bigger uh more grandiose I mean even the very first issue of Amazing Spider-Man when Spider-Man goes to save John Jameson's space shuttle apparently Dicko was very unhappy with that story thought it was ridiculous then thought it was ridiculous when the terrible tinkerer was an alien in the second story <laughs> um yeah and you, you can know. see a quick p- pivot away from those stories afterwards yeah yeah and and you know it's especially notable again after issue of amazing spider starting with amazing spider-man number 10 which is when you know for all intents and purposes lee was kind of delegated to just writing dialogue and and dicko was most was plotting and 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 drawing uh all of amazing spider-man and of course issue 10 was the enforcers the first appearance of uh fancy dan ox and uh who am i forgetting here montana Montana. there we go um three three you know gangsters (laughs) (laughs) And they would be used a lot. I mean, you know, the enforcers were kind of a, a, a recurring, not not that they were considered major threats, but that was almost kind of the point. I mean, Spider-Man was able to more or less dispatch them easily, but, you know, they were kind of this constant street-level thorn in his side. And, and you know, they would, even when a more super-powered villain would come into it, um like the Green Goblin or Doc Ock or Sandman. I mean, the enforcers were just kind of there to to annoy Spider-Man. And I and, I, and you know, we talk about issues 26 and 27 here because I kind of feel like that's almost like kind of the culmination of the the street level epic. Um, I mean, what do you what do you think about this? I mean, do you, do you, I mean, this is not news to you. We talk about this a lot uh, over the course of the history of this show, right? These these kinds of smaller stories for Spider-Man. Yeah, um, I mean, and we also talk about how much we loved Brand New Day, which had a specific focus on this kind of street level, uh, you know, version of the character. And, and, and I think this also ties into kind of like the overwhelming presence of New York City as a location for Spider Man stories. Um, all these things kind of feed together. Um, I, I like Spider Man best when he's operating this way but there's something um i've never really been able to put my finger on regarding spider-man and his street level i guess role um which is less pronounced in uh these books the the problem i'm discussing is that like there are other street level characters like i would put like basically all the members of the defenders from luke cage to daredevil to danny rand etc etc they are also street level characters, but there's something that Spider-Man that like puts him not in their world. 
Um, like they they often lump him in. Like I was thinking about the um, uh, what was that story recently? Shadowland that you know where yeah. Spider Man was incorporated to fight the evil daredevil with everybody as though he was part of that world and yet and maybe it's because modern stories have had him less involved in street fighting he felt like a little bit of an outsider there and um i feel like there's something about the character that places him as a street level character but still kind of outside the realms of those other guys and maybe it's just the very fact that he can like essentially fly with his webbing uh, that, like, puts him just up in the sky. Like, he's street level, but he's not. Uh, that puts him out of that realm. Do you see, the, like, him in the same realm as those characters? Or is it, like, a different distinction of street level? No, I. It, it's... You know what it is? It's... I think that he is in a different realm because... I mean, certainly... When compared to like Daredevil, for example, because like, yes, Daredevil has like heightened senses, um, but it's not like he's as strong as Spider-Man or as fast as Spider-Man or can, you know, not fly, but, you know, move as um, kind of aerodynamically as spider-man you know what i mean like there's it's it's you know he's still really grounded by by physics and reality i mean luke cage is a little different but um you know he's he's kind of a hard one to peg i mean like you know luke cage is bullet bulletproof i mean but and luke cage is also as much as he's been a street level i mean he was also kind of a a, a key part of the avengers in recent years, which again, well, then again, so is Spider-Man, which is a whole other thing. Like, did Spider-Man really, have, you know, deserve not deserve? Does he belong on the Avengers? Um, but I, I, I do agree with you. There's, there's kind of a distinction. I think the distinction with Spider-Man is almost that um, he has the powers and the capabilities to be more than a street-level hero, but for various reasons that. I think are just inherent to who the character is. And, and of course the groundwork laid here by Stan and Steve, I feel that he's most familiar at the street level versus the cosmic level. I mean, you know, he, he tries out for the fantastic four in the first issue and doesn't get on it. Cause he's, he's an outcast. He's a, like, he doesn't belong with those heroes. He doesn't belong with the Avengers when he does that tryout there, you know, like it, it, there's he he always either because of his his ego or his own attitude or the Parker luck. He, you know, always finds himself on his own. And that kind of like reflects more on the street level fighting these more kind of lonelier, solitary, personal he, uh, villains versus the Avengers or the Fantastic Four. But like going off what you said, I could see, you know, that those ideas as a reasoning for why Dicko and Lee would have this disagreement essentially about how to use the character because Lee could very well see him as this very powerful guy who could fight Dr. Doom in issue five, you know, whereas yeah. Dicko, you know, was very locked into this whole teenager thing, which to me is like probably the source for why they decided to take the character this route. You know, uh, we could add on a bunch of stuff in the future as to what would eventually come that would lock him into this role, whether it's like his lack of money and 
his own kind of scatterbrainedness and the Parker luck as that would develop. But it seems to me from the very beginning, the reason we went down this route is because he's a teenager and kind of a hothead and so on and so forth that he almost just – his own attitude excludes him from being a part of these kind of battles. But he certainly would eventually, you know, in Secret Wars go and, you know, fight, you know, like with the Beyonder and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. Well, also remember just to your point too, like in that – we, I think we talked about this during the powers and abilities episode. I mean, in that first issue of uh, Amazing Spider-Man Annual, when they're kind of talking about Spider-Man's power vis-a-vis the rest of the um, Marvel superhero universe, I mean, he's like he's basically just a notch below of like the Hulk and Thor at that point in history, you know. So like he's he's considered very powerful, right. <laughs> you know. Like he, it's it's he's not. So yeah, it's these other traits that kind of bring him down. <laughs> it's not his it's not his abilities or powers that bring him down. It's 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 the personality and 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 the character quirks. <laughs> well, let's talk about the pros and cons of this approach to the character. Like what do we think is gained by them deciding to do this with the character and perhaps what is lost by taking the character this route? Like I think, you know, like in in my mind the longer that this run went on, the more handcuffed it seems that they must have felt to keep the character at this level, like until he's literally fighting a bad guy named Joe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like they lean both ways, what's gained and what's lost by it. So like, what do we think are the pros of what, what is special about keeping Spider-Man at the street level? Well, certainly in the context of the Lee Ditko run and and um, this point in history in comics. I mean, you know what the, the the biggest pro is. This really distinguishes Spider-Man from pretty much every other superhero, save maybe Batman in in comics. Right? I mean, like everyone else is fighting aliens and invasions and like big cosmic threats that you know can vaporize the planet and um spider-man is is busy dealing with a guy with mechanical arms that you know wants to be rich you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean or, or 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 a guy who gets the power of electricity and just wants to rob banks, you know, (laughs) like, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, like, you know, these villains themselves, they never really take their, they don't take their powers to the next level either. And I think by making him so distinct, it's, it's, you know, that age old thing we talk about with Spider-Man all the time, it makes him more relatable. I mean, it's like, not only is he a teenager, uh, in a world of adults, but like he's a, he's a teenager. It, 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 Create it continues that narrative of, you know, if Spider-Man's just fighting a bank robber, you know, anybody can be that Spider-Man. You know, anybody could anybody could be if anybody who had the power could stop a bank robber. You know, not everybody can fight an alien because those aliens don't exist. (laughs) Or or travel back in time and pose as Blackbeard the pirate. Exactly. You know, so that's to me, it, it, it's what helped distinguish Spider-Man, and obviously it worked. I mean, like Spider-Man is, you know, 
up until a few years ago when it became Iron Man, and he's Marvel's mascot. He's their flagship hero, you know? Like, um, but it certainly sets up a number of cons. I mean, you mentioned some of the lamer villains, and like you said, like that, that seemed to be a byproduct of them being handcuffed, right? Yeah, I just wonder how much that is Dicko really leaning into this, like, the villains are like I think there was a certain point where he decided the villains are also going to be like this, you know. Like there was a there was always something fantastical about Spider-Man's villains, even if they were street level, like kind of like thugs that were elevated to a certain point. But then mm-hmm. there was a, there seems to be a point where Dicko just decided he's only going to be fighting thugs, you know, like the you, and you got things like the looter and the cat. And Joe, uh, <laughs> sorry to harp on Joe. Uh, That's that okay. Would, that would be Dicko's final issue. I actually like that issue. Um, right. But I, I think it's probably more forgettable for most people. But um, like, I, I just wonder if they kind of leaned a little too far into that to the point that it was like, oh, this is just like a like a kind of a crime novel at some point. At some point with like yeah. a little bit of and, and the, stuff. It's like Spider-Man meets Raymond Chandler. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. And, and, and kind of to that point, and we're, and we'll talk about some of this more specifically when we talk about 26 and 27, but like, I think it also kind of like by having so many kind of dime a dozen villains, it kind of like set up this narrative where things were just too, real and mundane and, and and too much based on reality because like you know yes it's it, it sets spider-man apart but meanwhile like kirby uh, over on fantastic four is just doing mind-blowing stuff utilizing like you know the negative zone and and time time travel and and these like creative villains and and it's like it's really like you know, if you ever go back and read the Kirby Lee Fantastic Four run, I mean, it's it's mind blowing stuff because it's just like it's it's got that Marvel flair of, um, you know, the characters all feel more grounded in reality because they're fighting with each other. They have real world problems, but meets this like, you know, outer limit kind of mind bending stuff that Kirby is putting out there in terms of his world building and his visuals and his, and his villains and whatnot. And it's like, it's just really exciting. Like, Oh man, this is like, this is, you know, I'm opening up this comic and I'm getting transported to another universe. And that's amazing. Whereas, you know, Spider-Man, it's like, you know, for example, in issue 27 with the crime master, it's like, Oh, sometimes the Butler did do it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Oh wow. Why don't, why don't you really try to excite me there? Dicko. I mean, like, yeah, we get it. Like sometimes it is the Butler, but sometimes, sometimes it is a killer cosmic deity like Galactus. Who's going to like, you know, end the, end civilization as we know it <laughs> it's, it's funny that that reveal comes from the same guy who drew dr strange you right know, he clearly had this very almost kirby-esque side to him where he wanted to do crazy things but he knew that spider-man was not the place he wanted to do them yeah 
And and that was the thing. Once Dicko kind of set his mind to what he wanted something to be, he just would not bend from it. You know, like he he saw compromises like you know failure. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to talk about issues twenty six and twenty seven? Yeah, I mean, we we did I think talk about this in detail um, some time ago on this podcast, but. Um, just in the context of, I think, probably talking about like Goblin Nation or something way back in the day. But uh, I think it's worth revisiting. And I think it's spe- especially as it relates to this topic, because I really do feel this is kind of like the quintessential street level Spider-Man story. I mean, you know, I think we had uh, when Jerry Conway, one of the times Jerry Conway was on the show when he was talking about Spiral, he mentioned how this story kind of influenced him. Uh, as a writer of Spider-Man and like kind of how this is this is the world he sees Spider-Man in. I mean, Tom DeFalco has talked about this story. I mean, it's it's, you know, basically it's it's the triangle of Spider-Man, the Green Goblin, who at this point is still a mystery villain and then a new mystery villain, the crime master. And it's it's crime master and goblin fighting over criminal turf and who's going to run the underworld and Spider-Man trying to figure out who you know their identities and they're trying to figure out spider-man identities so it's like you know they're all going after each other and they're all going after each other very personally which creates this high level of drama um but really the 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 prize um to be won is is just i guess ruling the criminal underworld of new york it's nothing nothing bigger or higher than that not that that's a small thing but um, you know, no one is looking for, you know, world domination. It's just, I, you know, I want to run, I want to run the streets, you know, and, and that's, and I mean, and there are other elements to it too. I mean, what, I mean, what, what, what are some of the things that, sp- that stick out to you in this story for you that speak to the street level theme? Well, I, I was thinking to myself about this story. Is this the first time that we really saw the gang element come into Spider-Man. I mean, of course, there was obviously, like, the enforcers and stuff. But and the circus of crime. And the circus <laughs> of crime. But, like, have we ever seen, like, like a large group of nondescript thugs, like, kind of being utilized in the pages of Spider-Man? I mean, I'm thinking now and back during like, the Goblin Nation story and things like that where, like, you have all these different costumed rival gangs in the pages of Spider-Man, which is a idea that really ebbs and flows through the history of the character. Daredevil seems to kind of really operate in this space more than Spider-Man now. But, like, this story to me really established that, like, oh, you know, even before Master Planner, when we would get the Dr. Octopus, you know, like, gang, uh, this was the first time that we really saw, like, a full-on you know, we gang war of sorts where different people would attach themselves to these villains and the villains would make, take a role from being a one-on-one fight to being a more like larger force, uh, in Spider-Man's world. And that's an interesting concept that has reappeared throughout the series, uh, every now and again. And to me, this is like the real birth of that. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, I think it's also important that um, this series also, you know, with the you know the Green Goblin is kind of still being established as like one of Spider-Man's heavy hitters in terms of villains. And you know, I think it's interesting that 
the Green Goblin's priority is is criminal dominance. It's not you know, you know like it's it's the fact that 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 is of such importance to this villain that is being viewed as an important villain for spider-man i think that again kind of just brings this all home but yeah i mean without having these kind of like rank and file thugs being shown in these two comics like i don't know if you ever have like you know the fisk family and the magia family and uh you know the there's so many of them (laughs) Uh, (laughs) every week there's a new one yeah um you know, Mr. Negative and <laughs> the, the White Dragon had White one Dragon. at some point. Yep, yep. I mean, it's you know, everyone's had a piece. You know, um, so yeah, but like, it's it's there's just so many nameless thugs in in this in this comic, and and you know, kind of also plays to when we were referring to it just a few minutes ago about Ditko's obsession with. Villains being just regular people, which has mixed results, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I would be curious to see how people responded to this reveal of the crime master at the end of this story back in the day. I'm sure I could go back and read the letters pages. Um, but I mean, it, it's an interesting idea that kind of lands with a thud uh, in, in the pages of the issue because you're – you're really hyped up to find out who this guy is. Um, and ultimately, we never really do, do we? No. I, I mean... Was there you know, ever a name put on this guy? No, I don't think so. He just remains a nobody. Yeah. And and it's funny because, like, you know, it's... I, I, I often wonder if that reveal is... I mean, yes, it, it plays to the street level sensibilities, but that also just kind of plays to Dicko's ideology of like almost like, you know, what you expect something more grandiose than that. That's not what I'm here to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's like, uh, you know, like don't don't be such a moocher about about these stories. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, you know, he even says like, you know, it's 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 not. It's not up to him to heighten the story to unrealistic levels, you know, like that's not, you know, then you shouldn't be reading this comic if that's what you're looking for. And it, it just seems very much like eat your vegetables, you you brats, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, What do you think that reveal means for Spider-Man as a street level character? Like would that reveal ultimately lock him into any kind of position? What do you mean? Like, does that reveal become emblematic of the series moving forward? Like, do, do you think that nobody reveal becomes a long-lasting part of Spider-Man's DNA? Or is the Green Goblin's, like, reveal more indicative of the kind of threat Spider-Man would face moving forward? Um, yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, like, again go back in the time machine i mean when they would reveal who the green goblin is a handful of issues later i mean okay norman osborn was a little bit closer to spider-man but he had only really been introduced by name a few issues earlier and harry osborn had only been issue, you know introduced a few issues before that and it wasn't like peter and harry were bosom buddies at that point you know what i mean yeah. they were just kind of like schoolmates so again it, it, it like kind of like 
continued this narrative of, you know, okay, this is to somebody, you know, like it's not, you know, like I think in another comic book series, that's not Spider-Man that kind of set these ground rules of, of, you know, really trying to be nitty gritty reality. I mean, you know, the crime master would have been J. Jonah Jameson. And there was even people guessing like the green goblin they thought was Jameson, you know, Yeah, you could read it in the letters pages. Yeah. Or if you don't want to say Jameson, I mean, it was, um, I don't know, like Ned Leeds, Ned Leeds or, or yeah, well, that would come later. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not get ahead of ourselves. No, no, no. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I mean like, it's 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 kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, you know, when when has in the history and you know, we'll talk obviously about the big picture going forward and maybe we can use this to go into it, but I mean like when in the history of Spider-Man has the reveal of a secret character or a villain really been a mind-blowing reveal? Norman Osborn, maybe Menace? Yeah, I mean the eventual is, reveal of the Hobgoblin? Right, but Roderick Kingsley was just a guy. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Ned, having it be Ned Leeds was more kind of of the traditional comic book vein, you know, with the Hobgoblin. Like, oh, this guy that's been kind of, you know, who's been very much involved in Spider-Man supporting universe for years and like, oh my goodness, now, how you know, how, how did he just become a, a supervillain out of nowhere, you know? Whereas Roderick Kingsley, who was Roderick Kingsley? I mean, that was that was the whole point. That's why what's his name, <laughs> the uh, DeFalco dismissed it. Who cares? What do you mean he's got an evil twin? Not I, a twin. So, um. so maybe maybe you know dismissing it outright and thinking, oh, the Green Goblin was more indicative of what would come. Really, the nobody is kind of the bread and butter of Spider-Man. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, it's like I feel like, you know, it's it's kind of become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's very rare that it's something more than what it is. I mean, okay, the man in red, you could say, that was kind of very atypical of a Spider-Man reveal, being Ben Riley, yeah. right? That was genuinely and, surprising. Yeah. Also because it didn't really make sense in the story. But right. That's well, a I was about to say, well, I was about to say, I mean, and at the same token, it's kind of like, do these do these more shocking reveals that are atypical? I mean, do they actually really benefit the story, you know, or how often are they actually pulled off in comics? Right. Yeah. I mean, but yet we consumers of comics seem to want want these shocking reveals and then we don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I think the only one that I've genuinely been surprised by in the pages of Spider-Man was the su- reveal in 698 in Superior. That yes. was genuinely shocking. Yes. Um, that's very interesting. I, I, I would have walked into this conversation saying the Green Goblin is the prototype, but really... I think I think it's the crime master. I would never yeah. have said that. Yeah. So there uh, we go. <laughs> it's that guy over there. That's it's, it's, that's who it it's, is. 
It's just the guy. It's just, it could be the, 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 the guy you're sitting on the train with, going to work with, Dan. He could I, be the... I know, you drive now, right? <laughs> I do, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think it's ever been someone without a name again, uh, like this guy. They've always right. been some minor character, and just like in any Batman story, it's the guy you introduced at the beginning of the story turns out to be Hush, or any number of these secret mystery Batman villains that are just the new guy in Batman's life. Uh, right. It's the same is true with Spider-Man. Right. I mean, well, that was even, again, going back to DeFalco kind of dismissing Roderick Kingsley. It was, you know, he felt that introducing that Roderick Kingsley had a brother that looked like him was, was not fair game at, you know, the way the story had been, you know, pitched to that point in the comics. And really, that's kind of the only way around it. Stern kind of had it figured out is they're going to immediately expect that it's this guy. So there has to be some additional wrinkle to right. it. Uh, we could talk about that, obviously, when we get to Roger Stern and yes. all the stuff he did. But it is interesting to think about um, all this stuff. Um, so let's talk about the influence of this kind of street level – We've kind of skirted around this a little bit. Let's talk about this influence of this street level, I guess, framing for Spider-Man uh, on the book going forward post Lee Dicko. Yeah, I mean, I would certainly say, well, obviously, ab- even after Dicko left, I mean, with Ramita and Lee, they, they maintain this. I mean, you know, in the pages of Spider-Man, we had... The Kingpin was soon introduced, who's the ultimate street-level villain. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, Silvermane is introduced and, you know, other villains like the Shocker, who's, again, you know, like a, just a crook who's trying to break into bank vaults, you know? like Who do you think as a writer best exemplifies this kind of approach to the character within their writing? I would say Jerry Conway and Tom DeFalco okay. are probably the, the, two, the two key ones who have played the most in this world and I think have also done it the most successfully. I'd like to add JMS to that uh, list because, you know, he had Peter as a teacher, but like also a lot of the struggles that he would deal with would deal with like kids who were, you know, homeless or being bullied or any of these other things. And then it would obviously always go into kind of a weird mystical Doctor Strange realm. Um, Even like the big battle in Times Square uh, that would happen with the kind of uh, mindless ones, um, but the but the but the the essence of the threat was always street level. So like the victims were street level, but the villains would always be some kind of otherworldly thing. And it was interesting seeing how those worlds c- clashed. So I think he played with the kind of what it means for Spider-Man to be street level, and then go into another like hero's role. Um, it's not typical, but I thought it was worth mentioning. It's no, I mean, and and uh, you know, under JMS, I mean, the other thing that kind of was key was it was always a personal battle for Peter. Yeah, uh, which I think kind of plays into this theme. You know, it's 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 not about you know when there's a threat, it's not about it's not important that necessarily that the the world is at is in danger. It's it's that what's being attacked means a lot to Peter. And he needs to do everything in his power to 
to fight that. How do you feel like this kind of element surfaced in Jerry Conway's writing? Because in some ways he was very much – while he would introduce radical changes, he kind of was like a shepherd for continuing the book as it had been running for a while. Yeah. I mean you know, obviously you know, Jerry Conway created characters like Hammerhead and The Punisher, which are very street-level characters. I mean you know, The Punisher now – hangs out with Daredevil more than Spider-Man because, again, like, you know, Daredevil has seemingly co-opted everything street-level about Spider-Man. <laughs> um, but, um, but again, like, those most of the stories with Jerry, they're, they're focusing more on the lower level and, you know, like, they're not, they're not these huge threats. And then, like, Jerry Conway's later work, I'm not even talking about, like, later, later work, but, like, his 80s and 90s work with, like, Tombstone and Joe Robbie Robertson and the Daily Bugle and just kind of focusing on these very, um, you know, these little smaller bits of minutia and character work of, of normal people, not, not the heightened people. And, and I feel like Jerry was more comfortable writing in those, writing in that plane. I mean, you know, we, we had a clone story with Jerry which we can thank him for spawning future clone stories. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. Uh, yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure he he prefers that on his record versus killing Gwen Stacy. Uh, <laughs> but um, but also DeFalco too. I mean, like I, I you know we talked about this during our essential series, and I don't know if you completely agreed with me when I kept saying it, but you know I I always view. Even though we're talking about an alien suit, you know, those those six or seven issues following, you know, DeFalco's debut on 252 where it's him and Friends and then Rick Leonardi and then Friends again where we're dealing with the Rose and the Hobgoblin's back. But the Hobgoblin is is trying to advance in the criminal underworld and then we're meeting Richard Fisk, the Kingpin's son and it's it's this very grounded and we're we're keen in on the on the Daily Bugle and what's going on there. I mean I I like I I you know for what it's worth the Daily Bugle I feel always plays a key role with the street level elements too. It's like I feel like every creator who's had a good handle on street level Spider-Man also has a good handle on like the interplay of the Daily Bugle. Would you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. Um, although there are like, you know, they would play with some of these more grander superhero elements, but again, it was always about how out of place Spider-Man was in these roles. Like I'm thinking about the Fire Lord uh, issue. You could in a way, even though it's a cosmic threat, Say it's also a street level thing because it's all about how Fire Lord um, is kind of an assault on street level characters that should never be interacting with a guy of this power set. I mean, I think it, like and all and all the solutions for beating him are something someone at the street level would think of, like how do I run him into this building that's about to blow up? You know, uh, it's not like Thor where it's like I'll trap him in some cosmic yada 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 yada. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm going to literally take mortal, mortar and pesto. You know, like I'm going to bring these this building <laughs> down on top of him. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> now, do you feel that, again, kind of to what you were saying with um, the end of the Dick O'Lee run with some of the villains and stuff, I mean, do you feel that going 
going full street level throughout like the 70s and 80s has had some adverse effects on the character? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, Mark, but like I feel like the 70s and early 80s were amongst the least interesting time to be reading Spider-Man. We just kind yeah. of got like forgettable rogue after forgettable rogue. And I, I think it's probably because people locked into this formula for how to do a Spider-Man comic, which is I, – I always uh, attribute to like the Electro storyline where it's like some random dude gets some random power and decides to rob a bank and Spider-Man stops him. Uh, yeah. and, and that's kind of the like template for like years of Spider-Man comics, whether it's like a guy who can control whirlwinds or whatever, or a guy who right. can jump like a kangaroo. I mean, you name it, you know, uh, <laughs> I feel like we got into that kind of like street level approach a little too hard. People weren't as willing to dream of who the next Doc Ock would be. For a while, you mean having a villain who could hypnotize you with a guitar riff was not <laughs> groundbreaking, Dan? <Yeah. laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're almost like entirely forgettable. You, you know, like yes. they're the people that show up in the bar with no name and get beaten up off panel. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, but then at the same time, you could arguably say probably of that era of. He, you know, characters that we're talking about, probably the best one created is very quintessentially street level, which is Black Cat. That's true. That's true. Um, but again, I mean, that's one out of how many that, you know, like, like you said, I mean, you know, there's, there's the, the, the angry, angry former member of NATO who makes cyclones. Uh, <laughs> um, Mirage, who's not Mysterio. Yeah. <laughs> Tarantula. Yes. Who I guess kind of had a little bit going for him. Right. Well, okay. Here's mystery villains. Jackal was a good mystery. I feel that was a good reveal. Okay. Right. And that was that's very street level. I mean, you know, he's he's a mad scientist, but like, it's not like. I don't know. He's not like an alchemist or something, or he's not making an infinity gauntlet. You know, like he's he's just creating clones of people close to Peter because of his his psychosis. You know, <laughs> like and wearing a green jackal costume. I guess just because. Yeah, yeah. I always thought it was interesting that like Jerry Conway has talked about in retrospect. He he created the Punisher just to kind of be a one-off lackey of the Jackal. Like he wanted the Jackal to be the main event. And like, he instantly realized like, Oh wow. The Punisher is way cooler than the Jackal. (laughs) 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 Like, ah, crap. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I, I said how I felt about that. I mean, do do you share my opinion about the seventies and early eighties? Like I just, I I, I skip past a lot of it when I do rereads. I don't disagree with that, but at the same token, like if you kind of go beyond the pages of Amazing Spider-Man, um, the '70s also there also was a lot of far out stuff going on, especially like a Marvel team up, which I know you haven't really read, co- you know, cover to cover, so to speak. But like 
you know, like he's teaming up with the Guardians of the Galaxy in the and Warlock and like he's traveling in time with Moon Dragon and fighting Kang and stuff like that. So, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on in the 70s, probably also a lot of a lot of drugs, too. Uh, <laughs> so but I mean, I think specifically when when he was operating within the the street level realm during that era, there were certainly more misses than hits. I mean, yeah. there were a couple of hits of the street levels. Like I would say, like the longest hundred yards, which we talked about when we were uh, eulogizing Len Wein recently. I mean, like to me, that's that's a great street level story about a guy who's in over his head with some crooks. You know what I mean? And Spider Man trying to help him, but um, but that's just one story. I mean, for every one hundred longest yards, there's like eight cyclones and mirages <laughs> and hypno hustlers and mine worm. <laughs> yeah. So like there's the seventies and eighties that were particularly street level. And I guess you could probably say some of the nineties. I mean, like the clone saga was a very personal tale for the most part, but I think the next time we really got back to this kind of real focus on this was the brand new day era um, which we have publicly been on the record as being one of the few champions of that era. Right. Well, I think most people like those stories. They just don't like what, what, what spawned them. But yeah. that's neither here nor there. Um, and the but, first but, few years of it were kind of rough. Yes. But it's interesting in that, you know, I feel like we go through these cyclical patterns with Spider-Man where, you know, we'll have big chunk of time where he gets away from these street level routes and then like there's like this adamant you know no no we have to bring him back we have to bring him back i mean like i know you were talking about during like the jms run that there was you know like these kind of like smaller nuanced elements street level elements to it but i mean there also was a lot of like really high-minded mystical cosmic stuff and then of course you know the which is capped off with him interacting with the devil <laughs> right um you know which is the opposite of street level <laughs> i don't like to credit jms with that i know i know but i'm saying but like but at the same token like brand new day was you know whether you 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 know put your put your hand on the bible of the uh what is it uh brevort's uh manifesto, manifesto uh, yeah. uh but you know it's 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 about bringing Spider-Man back to his roots and his roots being those street level roots, you know, like, um, and meanwhile, one of the, one of the main architects of brand new day, Dan Slott, I feel like in recent years has gotten very far away from the street level. Right. I mean, that seemed I mean, to be from day one, his MO like big yeah. time was about getting him away. Like literally it's in the title, it, you know, it's getting him away from, from that, and as time has progressed, we've gotten we swung as far away from it. I think we've as we've ever gotten with the character. Yeah, I mean, even even the clone conspiracy, which has the elements of a personal story, a la the first clone saga. I mean, the ultimate threat there is 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 to the world, right? I mean, right. it's it's you know, it's an apocalypse, <laughs> and they're <laughs> jumping through multi you know different different multiverses to get there. Um, so it's kind of funny how like 
you know, it, like a yo, you know, like a yo-yo, it always comes back up, you know, to street level. <laughs> yeah, right. And the legacy, the entire pitch of legacy, isn't even really something that special. Like I'm not like it's just saying, oh, we're bringing him back to his roots. Like that's literally the pitch. Uh, yeah, it's it's Peter Parker menace. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you think we're ever going to get back to Spider-Man fighting guys like the Enforcers or the Crime Master anymore? I mean, like specifically that low level where they're just gangsters. Is that not in his territory anymore? Like, is that a daredevil thing that Spider-Man is to remain away from? Like, w- will people be excited to read a book where it is Spider-Man versus a gangster? I mean, we got Spiral, but even then, that was superhero, super villains to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, no, we probably won't because, I mean, for many reasons, but, you know, you kind of hit upon them all in your in your preface to that question. I mean... You know, you have Daredevil for that now. You have a Defenders book, which is going to be, which is based on the Netflix series, which again is very street level. Miles Morales. Miles Morales. Um, So it's kind of like, you know, what we were saying way, way back the beginning of the episode, like Spider-Man kind of is is even, he's still a notch above, even if, you know, even if people try to always kind of bring him back to that level. And it's like, I feel like he's been at a notch above for far too long to like kind of bring him back down all the way. So I would be shocked to see him do that. I mean, even, even if it is a gang, like a Mr. Negative is certainly like a street level villain, but there's a higher element to him. Right. Yeah. And we don't even really often see the Kingpin in the pages of Spider-Man anymore. Right. Unless you're talking about Chip Zdarsky and Kubert's Spider-Man with a little bit of Kingpin in there. So. But even then, the Tinkerer had to have this giant robot right. you know, thing. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. I know. The less yeah. said about that, the better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, do you think it's a bad thing that we won't get back there? I mean, you kind of just said it. Like, would people be excited by it? I don't know if they would be. I think I think we've been trained to not look for that now i think there have been enough stories that have put spider-man like in a higher category that are beloved that like it will be hard for people to adjust their mindset about it um but i mean even the craven story that we got you know the great craven's last hunt like redo you know was and mystical elements and all this stuff involved in it Instead of just a guy that was kind of crazy and a jungle man, you know, like, could you have another Craven story where Spider-Man fights against this, like, jungle, you know, trained hunter guy? We haven't seen him fight Craven in over 100 issues. Like, have we even boxed out some villains? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems like when we bring those villains back now... It's usually in a reduced role. Like Electro really isn't a main event anymore. You know, like he he's kind of brought in as a, an, an accessory. Vulture kind of comes and goes, but like we haven't had like a hardcore, really like focused Vulture story. It's always you know he shows up for an issue or two and 
causes trouble and it goes away. So I'd say no. I mean, I, I, I hold out hope. I think any good writer could come in and get us excited about that stuff again. And maybe Legacy will will prove that that's the direction they want to head. But, um, I mean, we're already getting, like, a big Venom crossover, and who knows what has come down the pike. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I miss it, to be honest. Um, but I can understand why we've moved past it. Yeah, I think it's about time we wrap the show up. Uh, it's, this has been a fun conversation. Definitely. So uh, thanks for joining us for our eighth episode of the first season of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Dan, our next episode is going to be out in about two weeks. We're thinking October 25th. And what's the title for that show? Uh, yeah, it's going to be one actually I've been really excited to, to do ever since we started doing the show. And it's going to be called Ditko Shrugged. Uh, we're going to be talking about Ditko's influence on the creation of Spider-Man and also how his kind of Randian objectivist uh, ideas and, and philosophies left their mark on the character. Um, think of this as the companion piece to our Stan Lee episode. Yeah, and hopefully we'll, we'll we, you know, maybe like in the Stan Lee episode, we might have some additional voices on that. That's to be announced. Um, also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed for this week's bonus episode. Last week, Dan and I reviewed Amazing Spider-Man uh, Volume 4, number 32, uh, the end of Volume 4 uh, on the title. Uh, this week, we're going to be discussing Marvel Legacy number 1, the car- comic that launched Marvel Legacy Initiative and intends to bring Marvel back to its roots, its street-level roots, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Right? Uh, I mean, judging and, by that comic, I don't think so. Like, Celestials no. were hanging out in that comic. That's true. That's true. Uh, remember just for $3.99 a month the price of a new comic you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews swarm b-books mailbags and all that other fun stuff uh, in your off weeks and then for $10 or more a month you'll be sent exclusive commissioned artwork in the mail every six months Uh, Dan that sounds great Um, where can we find you on the social medias yeah um, I'm always hanging out on twitter at at sup Spider Talk, uh, promoting all the awesome work that's being done over on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com and just talking about my feelings about comics and things in general. I also am on Twitter at my personal account, at Dan Kavazdin. That's more my movie-oriented account, uh, where you can he- see all- hear all my reviews about the latest movies that are hitting theaters uh, this week. Blade Runner 2049. Uh, I have a lot to say about that movie. Uh, Mark, what about you? Where uh, where can we find you on the internet? All right, Dan. Well, you know, of course, you can find me on Twitter at Chasing ASM Blog, and uh, I, I think I'm gonna. By the time some people listen to this, there'll probably be a new issue of Amazing Spider-Man, the the Legacy debut. So that'll be up on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Eventually, I'll write a Chasing Amazing Blog again. I got away from that after kind of getting back into it. So uh, forgive me for that. Uh, and of course, the book A Hundred Things Spider-Man Fans. Uh, should know and do before they die uh, through triumphbooks.com and all their major retailers. Uh, haven't gotten any new reviews on any sites lately, Dan, like on Amazon or Goodreads or anything. And I know that there are some people out there who are just been getting the books in because you've been tweeting at me or sending me stuff on Facebook. So I'm just going to say no pressure. But if you read the book and you have something to say about it, please just leave me a review because it helps grow the audience for the book. So thanks so much. Awesome. 
Well, Mark, before we completely take off here, uh, I know you're doing marathon training, so I'm sure you've got another <laughs> 20 miles to go run now that the show is done. Uh, I think we, we should leave it on a, a valuable lesson for our listeners to take home with them. Um, and I know that you have a, a, a lesson that's near and dear to your street-level heart. Yeah, you know, when I'm out there on the road pounding the pavement for 20 miles, I always think to myself, with great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. <laughs>